the uh, Fairview Memorial Winter Bible Study. I'd like to say I uh, am humbled by the invitation to come and to try to uh, share a lesson once again. And so I certainly would desire an interest in your prayers uh, that I might be able to just share it the way the Lord would have it to, to be shared. And so you've picked up an outline tonight. I will probably follow that roughly. I don't know if we'll stay exactly on track with it, but uh, we'll try to use that uh, as a guide. And so um, my lesson uh, that I was assigned is Michael, uh, the daughter of Saul. And I gave it a subtitle because this is what kept coming back to my mind uh, as I studied this woman's life. Uh, the title, subtitle I gave it is uh, Unrequited Love. Uh, so unrequited love. Uh, now, I want to briefly begin just by stating a couple of things about uh, the pronunciation of this name. Uh, it's, a lot of these names in the Old Testament are hard to pronounce, and this one doesn't seem hard to pronounce at all. Uh, but the question is, is do we pronounce it the same way that we pronounce the male name of Michael? And best I could figure, that's what I'm going to go with tonight. Uh, in the Hebrew, the name Michael uh, is pronounced uh, Mihal, uh, and the that's the feminine version of the male name uh, that we use and know in our world is Michael, which is pronounced Mihalel. And so uh, there's the Hebrew pronunciation for you, but for the remainder of this lesson, I'm just going to pronounce it the way that we probably all see it and read it uh, as Michael. Now the name means, thank you, brother. Uh, her name means who is like God, uh, or to put it another way, what is God like? And so it's the name, the meaning of the name is a, a bit of an inquiry after the nature of God, trying to, to feel after or to understand uh, who he is. And I thought about that a lot with her story and, and whether or not that would fit in with the things that I plan to share. And I, I don't know if it will, uh, but I, I do wonder if she inquired very diligently after him. I have my doubts, as we've seen with a lot of the women that have come up in uh, the study this this. Uh, year. Um, there were a lot that did not seem to inquire after God at all. There, there are many that didn't seem to know him, uh, and that is my particular take on this. Now, one of the things that I came across as I was studying this out and trying to prepare a lesson is that uh, it, it kind of came to the realization that in the Old Testament, when we study some of these books that are historical in nature, uh, we just have to remember that that's what they are. They're historical, and they give us the facts of what happened, but they don't necessarily give us much commentary on what God thought about the things that happened. They don't necessarily tell us a lot about the feelings of the people that were involved uh, in the things that happened. And so that leaves a lot open to speculation uh, and to us just trying to sort some of those things out. And so admittedly tonight, there's a fair amount of speculation in uh, the lesson that I'll present. Uh, because we don't, we're not told necessarily how Michael felt about this or that. Uh, we're not necessarily told what God thought about this or that in the definitive manner that we might like uh, to know or, or to hear from. And so um, just keep that in mind as we go through this lesson. Uh, as the title suggests, Michael is the daughter of Saul. Uh, she is the youngest daughter of Saul. Uh, she is the, um, the fifth child of Saul and Ohinoam. Uh, the first three were boys, and you will know one of them very well. He was Jonathan. Uh, so Jonathan was Michael's uh, older brother. And uh, Jonathan was uh, an admirable young man, so far as I can determine from the account that's given about him in the Scripture. 
uh, I think Jonathan knew the Lord. And uh, we can see a bit of a contrast between their two lives as we, we go on if we have the opportunity to speak about that. We read about the story of Michael in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapters 18 and 19. We have another reference to her in chapter 25. Uh, we read uh, again, then, then her story breaks, uh, and we pick her up again in 2 Samuel in chapters 3 and in chapter 6. The story that's recorded in the sixth chapter of 2 Samuel is also told in a little bit more abbreviated form, uh, at least as far as her part in it, in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 15. The 59th Psalm was written by David, and it was written particularly about the account uh, that he had with Michael when she helped him escape from Saul, which we'll get to here in a little while. So that gives you an idea of where we, we read about Michael uh, in the Scriptures. Uh, her story is, to me, it's a sad story. Uh, there's a, a lot of loss. What I tried to do and what I hope to be able to do tonight as I share these things uh, is speak about it from her perspective. We're studying about the women of the Bible, and so I would like to think about what her experience was like in all of these things. And uh, it seems to me like it was a pretty sad experience and a pretty sad story. And so we'll, we'll look at some of those things as we go forward. Um, so I want to start just with a little bit about what we know about her life. Uh, and of course, the, the first fact uh, is that her father was Saul. And uh, so Saul and David are going to figure in as prominent characters in her story because that's, that's what the struggle was about at this point in, in 1 Samuel. Uh, there was a real struggle between Saul and David, and it continued for quite a while. Uh, and we see in the story of Saul that uh, he just grew worse and worse. In his early days as king, he seemed to have some success, uh, but he proved himself to be a man that was not really interested in keeping the commandment of the Lord. Uh, he did that more than one occasion, and as a result, uh, Samuel finally came to him, and this is some of this recorded in the outline, but finally came to him and told him that for his sins, that the kingdom was going to be torn from him and was going to be given to a neighbor, given to another one who was better than he was. Uh, and so Saul became uh, aware of that and became very paranoid. Uh, he became very focused on figuring out who that was. Uh, I think he believed that he might be able to thwart the plans of God. Uh, if he could just kill whoever this one was that God had intended to set up, then maybe he could avoid uh, this, the ramifications of his sin. And that was, so far as I can determine, the type of thinker that Saul was, particularly later in his life. Now, since uh, Michael was his youngest daughter, I think it's reasonable to suppose that she probably saw more of that side of Saul than she did the earlier days of Saul, where perhaps he was a little bit, uh, a little bit better. Um, and, you know, the same is true for us and our families. If, if we look at the children, if you have four or five children, uh, your, your oldest ones may remember you when you were in your young 30s, and your oldest one may remember the person you were by the time you were in your 40s, you know. So it, that, that, can, that perspective can shift based on birth order. And if we think about that with Michael, I think she probably was exposed to the rougher side of who her father was. And I think that no doubt had an impact uh, on her life and had a great impact on the development of her as a person, uh, as an individual. 
Um, certainly, and I don't remember where I put it uh, in this lesson, but certainly a father uh, is the, the first man that a young woman loves. Uh, and it, it is a natural human desire to be loved back, to have that love shown back towards us. And I titled the lesson Unrequited Love. I couldn't think of anything that better explained uh, what I was trying to state by that. And that's, uh, I believe Michael had a great desire to be, to be loved by her father. I think all young women have a desire to have, first of all, a father even present in their life, uh, for that father to be a good man, uh, and for that father to love them and to return the love that they, will, uh, that they have for them. And so with Saul uh, in his life, I don't think that uh, she saw much of that. Uh, and so this, this struggle with Saul uh, and David just continued, and what we see is we see Saul just go downhill, and we see David just continually climb uphill. Uh, and it got to the point, as we read here uh, in 1 Samuel 18, after that David had uh, already won the battle against Goliath, uh, and the, the women were beginning to sing his praises. You know, David has uh, slayed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands, that song that we read about, that uh, Saul grew very jealous uh, in regards to David and his relationship with him. I'll go ahead and read one of the passages here that I have written down in 1 Samuel 18. It says uh, in verses 7 through 9, And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And so he certainly did have his eye on him, and he kept a, uh, a close, close wash on him. Uh, now, <clears throat> I'm going to back up just a moment and get this part in here in case I, I don't, and I forget to in a minute. But whenever that... Um, Goliath stood and defied the armies of, of Israel. Uh, one of the rewards that was offered to the man that would stand up against him was to be given the king's daughter in marriage. Uh, and David naturally was the one that took Goliath down. Uh, and so that was one of the rewards that uh, waited for him. Now, we don't see anything in the scripture that tells us that David uh, pressured Saul to give him his reward after that, that had happened. Uh, but it's uh, uh, understandable that that was something that he should be waiting for. And that would have been referring to his oldest daughter, whose name was Merab. And so as we see the relationship between Saul and David just, you know, continue to go back and forth, uh, we see Saul continue to make uh, attempts on his life. I think I counted as many as 11 possible uh, attempts, depending on how you look at it, that Saul made on David's life in one way or another. Sometimes he'd just, he'd just be completely compulsive and try throwing a spear across the room and, you know, skewering him to the wall. Uh, and sometimes he was more, uh, he, he used trickery uh, in the things that he did, and he was passive, and uh, he would try to put David into harm's way. And in regards to Michael, in regards to Merab, her older sister, that was uh, what he did. First of all, he told David that he would give him Merab, the older daughter, in marriage. And when the time came for them to be married, uh, he changed. And he gave her to another man. Uh, Adriel, I believe, was his name. And I think that he was trying to get at David, naturally. He was, I think, not only trying to uh, perhaps 
hurt him, uh, but he was probably also trying to provoke him to anger uh, or to jealousy, trying to get a rise out of him. The thing that uh, Saul hated about David was that uh, he acted very wisely and that the Lord was with him. And so he really wanted, I think, to get a rise out of him. And so he withdrew Merib, that, the uh, proposal that he would give Merib as uh, his wife. And then Saul found out that uh, Michael loved David. And this pleased Saul, the scripture says, as we read there in the same chapter, verses 20 and 21. Or maybe that's the... Well, at any rate. Uh, we, we find out that Saul learned about Michael's love and his pleasure that, that she loved him wasn't about his daughter's well-being. It wasn't about how she felt or whether or not she would be with a good man. Uh, she, he simply saw an opportunity to get at David again, another opportunity to injure him. Uh, and so he, he simply used his daughters uh, for his own benefit. And that's not what a good father does. Uh, and we can, I think if we can try to put ourselves in Michael's shoes uh, and we can ask ourselves, you know, what did she feel like uh, as a result of these things? I think that she would have uh, been very much hurt. I think she would have felt abandoned. Uh, I think she would have felt unloved, probably unlovable, uh, and things of that nature. Now, Saul was, again, he was not a good father in any way that we might expect a, a, a man to be a good father. I think, first of all, a godly father needs to know the Lord, and it's my own opinion that it's debatable whether or not Saul even did know the Lord, and I know that's a debate that goes around from time to time. I don't know that we have a definitive answer about it, but I do know that if he did, he sure didn't act like it, especially in the later years of his life, uh, and this was the example that he left to his daughter. Let that be a reminder to all of us that are fathers that we have a, a great responsibility uh, to be an example of those things in the lives of our children uh, and of our daughters, as we're speaking about tonight. Uh, Saul did not uh, apparently love God or really honor God. Uh, Saul was a man who sought to honor himself. That, that was what was paramount to him. And everybody around him in his life was just a potential tool to help him exalt and lift up himself. And, and unfortunately, we see that a lot around us in our society with uh, father figures. Uh, we see some, some just horrible things. And it's uh, become, unfortunately, as Saul, many become very self-centered and self-focused. Uh, and we do not give to our daughters, to our children, the love that they really need and deserve. Clearly, Saul did not set much of an example for Michael. Uh, he, we find he was paranoid, obsessed, deceitful, compulsive. He was just not a good example to her uh, in any of the ways, really, that a father should be. I think it uh, quite unlikely that he did anything in regards to guiding her into truth uh, or being in any way a spiritual mentor uh, to her. And I think as a result, Michael suffered. Uh, for that. And uh, I think that it was really to her detriment that she did not have a good father figure in her life. And again, I might just remind you that a daughter desires that love from a father. And I think what probably happens in most cases is when they don't receive it, it's not like that need or that desire just goes away. 
but what happens many times is they then transfer it to the next important man in their life. And that naturally is uh, their husband. And David, I, I, I want to be very careful not to fault David where the Scripture doesn't fault David. Uh, but as I said, this is a historical book, and God doesn't always give us commentary about what he thought about this or that uh, in these historical stories. And I can certainly see some areas in David's life where, as a husband, uh, he fell short. Uh, and he did some things that would have also been very difficult for Michael to deal with and to bear, uh, where that she may have felt uh, unloved and uh, felt as though her love was not being returned to her by him. Now, one of the things we know from the third chapter of Genesis is that part of the woman's curse is that her desire shall be unto her husband. Uh, and it's interesting that that's part of the curse, but it is. And uh, it means that, so far as I can determine, that the woman really has, the woman really needs that, uh, that love from the husband to, to feel fulfilled uh, in her life and to be able to find her place. And I don't know that Michael received that. Uh, from David as uh, she needed and as we would have hoped that she would have. Uh, Michael was David's first wife, but sadly, and I say sadly because I think that's what it was, she was not his only wife. Uh, and we'll probably talk about that here in a moment. I do think that David knew the Lord. There's pretty much no question about that. Uh, but whether or not whether or not he did a very good job uh, sharing that with her, that could be debatable. And let's go ahead and turn and read a passage from her life. I haven't even done that yet, but uh, let's read 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 10 through 18. We'll pick up with one of Saul's attempts on David's life here in the 10th. Uh, verse. It says, And Saul sought to smite David, even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. Uh, and Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow <clears throat> thou shalt be slain. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. So Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may slay him. And when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michael, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go, why? Uh, excuse me. He said unto me, Let me go, why should I kill thee? And so this is the occasion, I suppose, one of the, the greatest moments for Michael that we see in her life, where that she helped David escape from Saul, who had come to his home uh, with his messengers to take him and to kill him. And she does help him escape, and I think that she ought to be credited for that. Now, the question is that I had in my mind as I read this, and you may have picked up on it too, is what was an image doing in their house? Uh, I don't know what the answer is. I told you a lot of this is subjective because we don't, we're not given answers, but 
what we know is that there was a, a teraphim, which is a, an idol image, and that's pretty much the only thing that word's associated with in the Old Testament uh, in the house of David and Michael. Now, I think it's pretty unlikely that that belonged to David. It more than likely belonged to Michael. But nonetheless, uh, David, it was David's home, and he should have been aware, I think, of what was going on in his home and should not have had an image uh, that is strictly forbidden in the 20th chapter of Exodus from being in his home. And so I just point that out as a possible uh, view into the idea that I don't have any question about whether or not David knew the Lord, but I do have some questions about how good of a job he did with Michael in terms of sharing those things with her. Um, there could have been a lot of explanations for that, no doubt. They, that they may have been very newly married. You know, he may have not even been aware of it being in their home up to this point. Uh, you know, perhaps she had kept it hidden from him. We don't really know, but we can see that uh, they, were, they were in the possession of a, an idol image and that was used uh, in hiding David from Saul's messengers. Let's move along. Uh, one of the ways in which I think David uh, failed Michael as a, a husband is that a godly husband has one wife. Uh, should only have one wife and not to be committed to her. And the subject of polygamy in the Old Testament, I realize, can be a little bit challenging and difficult. Uh, it doesn't seem to me like it ought to be that difficult of a subject, but it can be. And I think part of why it is is because, you know, the, the first man to have more than one wife was Lamech, and this is the evil Lamech of uh, the ungodly line of Cain. And I, can un I think we could probably wrap our minds around the fact that an ungodly man might take more than one wife. But we don't see it limited to that in the Scriptures. Sometimes we see men such as Abraham and as David take more than one wife. And uh, I, I read across somebody, and I can't remember who it was now, but um, he said it in a way that resonated with me. And uh, he said, just because something is described does not necessarily mean that it's prescribed by God. And that's what I see with polygamy in the Old Testament. But, you know, the Lord also taught us that we, will, we can judge a thing by its fruit. And polygamy caused all sorts of issues in just about every instance that I come across in the Old Testament. And I wonder what Michael must have felt like uh, after that David took new wives. And so anyway, um, trying to bring my thoughts together here. David fled, as we know. Michael helped him escape out of the window. He fled, and naturally he was running for his life, and so we have to give him some leeway in that. But to the best of our knowledge, he never called for her. He never returned to her. He never sent to check on her and to see how she was doing. But while he was out running, he did take additional wives. Uh, and we might say, well, he probably didn't have an opportunity to check on her. And I don't know, maybe he didn't, but it seems to me like he had the opportunity to reach out to Jonathan from time to time, who was her older brother, who likely could have taken her a message. Uh, but nonetheless, again, it's a, we don't get a lot of these details, and it's left up to us to speculate some of these things. Now, if we put ourselves in the position of Michael, she desired to be loved by her father, and he was... a pretty much a failure in that area all around. She desired, she it tells us specifically that she loved David. It might be the only instance in the scripture that it specifically says a woman loved a man like that. 
And uh, that certainly doesn't mean there weren't women that loved their husbands, but it, it points it out specifically in that way. Uh, she desired to be loved by him. She helped spare his life. And then he's gone, and she doesn't see him for a long time, as far as we're aware. And she finds out that he's now taken uh, additional new wives while he was gone. I think that she would have been a pretty brokenhearted woman by this point. Uh, that's my, my take on her. Um, and again, we have to be, I think we do have to be careful in, in how much we speculate into these things. David, for, for whatever faults he did have, he had a redeemable character. He knew the Lord. He knew what it was to repent. He knew what it was to humble himself before God. Uh, and for that, he is and should be uh, credited. Um, but I, I think if we want to try to understand at this point uh, what Michael's situation was like, there's a verse that uh, you can find in the Proverbs that I think, I think it fits in well with her situation. And it's Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, where it says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. And so as I stated here, we're not told exactly how all of these things affected Michael, yet we may be able to get a glimpse into the pain she felt uh, by considering this passage in Proverbs. As we know, uh, as every daughter would, Michael had a desire. Uh, she had a hope uh, that her father would love her, would take care of her, would show her and teach her what it was to be a good man. And, you know, as they say, uh, if you... You know, if you're good to your daughters, they'll end up marrying somebody like you. Well, I, I, I would hope that that might be something that we could all live by. Let, let me try to be a good enough father that my daughters would want to marry somebody like me or at least somebody that would have the good qualities. And uh, she had that desire, but instead she was used by her father, manipulated by her father, and the hope that she had that he would love her as he should, it was deferred, it was lost. Uh, and as the scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so again, she had uh, probably transferred some of that over onto David next uh, with the hope that her love uh, for him would be returned to her. Uh, and things did not go well in that regard. She helped him escape. Uh, she saved, helped save his life. Uh, but after that, he was gone. And... Uh, as I said, we don't really know that he sent for her or, or tried to have her brought to him. And I think that that hope uh, that she had for the love of her husband uh, was dashed. And I think it made her heart sick. Now, one thing that uh, we haven't mentioned yet, uh, but I'll mention it here, is that as far as I'm concerned, her story is very sad already at this point, but it, it gets even a little bit worse. Uh, we, we find in the 25th chapter of 1 Samuel that after David had been gone for a while, uh, Saul used Michael again, uh, manipulated her again by marrying her off to another man. It was unlawful. Uh, she was still David's wife, but nonetheless, he married her off to a man named Falti. And, you know, the irony of the whole situation, maybe irony is not the right word, the sadness about the whole situation is that finally, 
there was a man that really genuinely seems to have loved her and cared for her. Uh, and we know that because in the third chapter of 2 Samuel, David calls for her to be brought back to him. Uh, and so they go to forcefully, as so far as I can tell, remove Michael from her husband, Falty, that her father had married her off to. And this man came behind, following them, crying for her and weeping that they were taking her away from him. And so, you know, here this man had a father that, or this woman had a father that didn't show love to her the way he should have. She had a husband that seemed to vanish uh, and didn't really return the love to her that he should have. And now finally she had a man that loved her, and we don't know how she felt about that exactly, but finally she had a man that seems to have had genuine love for her, and then she's ripped away from him and brought back uh, to David, who is now king. And so I think that Michael was quite heartsick, uh, and there was a huge opportunity for bitterness to begin to infect her and to begin to root up in her heart. And that's exactly, so far as I can tell, what happened to her. Uh, she became a bitter woman. Now, I wanted to share all of these things so far because I, I want us to try to understand what she felt and, and what her life might have been like. I think life for women in the Old Testament was, was kind of rough, to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm not you know, trying to sing the feminist tune here or anything, but I do believe that life for women in the Old Testament was rather difficult, harsh, uh, and, and very challenging at times. Uh, but I haven't said these things to try to excuse Michael. Uh, as you read through all of these chapters, you read these stories as a whole, the general tone that I get is that she was at fault, that she had done, she had done wrong. And I think that that's ultimately true because bad things happen to all of us in our life. We face hard situations, but we are responsible for how we respond to those things. And Michael did not fare well uh, in this department. I don't think that she did very well in how that she responded. And I think there are some reasons uh, that she fell uh, short in that department. And, and hopefully we can talk uh, for just a, a few moments about that. First and foremost, I don't see any indication that the woman knew the Lord. Uh, I just don't see anything there. We, we find the only real spiritual reference that we have uh, in her life is that she possessed an idol and used it to help hide David. We can also note, and I didn't mention this earlier, but I might go back to it, we can also note that both Jonathan and Michael were responsible in helping save David's life from attacks by their father. Uh, when Jonathan did it, Jonathan, the Scripture tells us that God knit the heart of Jonathan and David together. I think the love that they shared, that, that friendship love that they shared with each, with each other uh, was a love that was ultimately God's love uh, joining them together. And when Jonathan helped to save David's life, he did so by using David's integrity with his father. He said, listen, David has, has been a righteous man. He has served you righteously. He has done good uh, for Israel. Uh, and what you're doing is wrong. Do not sin against this righteous man. That's how Jonathan approached his father. Now, granted, Michael was uh, a woman, and, and she probably had to be a little bit more cautious in how she spoke to her father and how she spoke to the king. 
But she didn't take that approach. Instead, she created a lie about David, and she said, well, he said, if you don't let me go, he would kill me. And that's just not what happened. That's not true. David did not threaten uh, her life. And it's a small point to make, but I think it shows us a slight difference uh, in the nature of Jonathan versus Michael and is uh, another point that may help illustrate that I'm not so sure that Michael really knew the Lord. Uh, and that, unfortunately, made it very, very difficult for her or perhaps even impossible for her to be able to weed out the bitterness that was taking root in her heart. I think if we uh, look at a comparison, and, and this is what we'll do here towards the end, if we look at a comparison between the life of uh, Leah and Michael, uh, and I already apologize, Brother Reed, I, I finished this lesson before I even looked back at the outline of who had who, and after I'd already emailed it off, I saw Brother Mike Reed had, had Leah, but I don't think I'll get too far into Leah's story, but uh, Leah's story in many ways compares closely with Michael. They went through a lot of the same hardships. Uh, they both had fathers that deceptively used them and married them off to men against, you know, against their, or, or in a deceptive manner. We'll just say it that way. Uh, they both um, didn't really receive the love from their fathers they should have. They both did not really receive the love that they desired from their husbands. We know this for sure with Leah. I mean, she, she had a, a real desire to be loved, uh, and it tells us that uh, Jacob would not. Uh, and he, he, he loved uh, her sister instead. And so the difference is in how these two women uh, responded to it. For both of them, there was a lot of, of sorrow uh, in, in their life. There was... A lot of brokenness. There was, I think, uh, what, what the proverb that we read earlier said, that, um, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I think they were both heart sick. Uh, but Leah ultimately responded in a way that was more admirable uh, than Michael. It, and you can see that revealed in the verses that I recorded there in the outline in the 29th chapter of, of Genesis. I think you can see it recorded in the the way that she named those first four sons. And so it began with, you know, a desire. She named them in such a way that said um, things like, now my, my husband will love me, you know, now that I've given him this son, things like that. And then by the fourth one, uh, she just named him, the, the name that she, she gave him meant, uh, now will I praise the Lord. And so I, I think what I gather from that is that she finally got to a point where she said, you know what, I haven't received the love from my husband that I wanted, but I can, I can get that from my Heavenly Father. I can get that from above. And even if everybody in my life that ought to return love to me uh, does not, I can still get it from above, and I can have peace in that, and I can be satisfied with that. And that seems to be what Leah figured out, uh, that Michael never seemed to be able to. And the reason that we can deduct that is by the last uh, story that happens in the, 
license, Michael, and we'll go ahead and turn now to that. Second Samuel chapter 6. The context here is that uh, Saul has died. David has been anointed king. Uh, he sees a real importance in getting the Ark of the Covenant back into its rightful place in Israel. They're bringing it back. And as we know, the story goes, uh, he came and he danced before it as it came. He, he stripped off some clothes. He just he let loose before the Lord. And he just, he just danced as his heart prompted him to dance. He was not being lewd in it. He was not being wrong in it. He was just uh, being free in his spirit and, and serving the Lord in the way that, that he felt best. And so uh, that's what's happening. And we'll pick that up in uh, 2 Samuel 6, verse 16. It says, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in, in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of fish and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today! who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, them shall I be had in honor. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. And so I, when I read that, and I don't know how, how you read that, but I just hear a woman who had been overrun with bitterness in her heart. She had lived a life with love that had not been returned to her, but she nonetheless had not responded well to it. And, you know, any time that we begin to let bitterness root up in our heart, boy, it's got a way of growing like the worst thorn or weed that you've ever experienced. You know, it just takes over. Uh, and it will find a way into every branch or aspect of your life. It's very corrosive in its nature. It's very uh, strong. It tends to overcome us. And so the best way is to get it at the very beginning, you know, to get it at the seed or while it's still in the ground and to make sure that bitterness doesn't find its way into our heart. And I think the surest way to do that is to do all things as unto the Lord uh, and to submit ourselves to Him in all things uh, because truly He's the one uh, that we answer to. In the end, He is the one, well, as the Scripture says, every good and every perfect gift comes down from above. And so, though, though all the world should, you know, 
not give to us those things that we may desire, we could still have peace in Him. And of course, there's no greater example of how that we ought to respond to these things than our Savior. Uh, nobody was more worthy of love than, than He was. Uh, nobody had ever come to do what He had come to do. He came to save His people from their sins, and yet we find that He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Uh, we find that He was betrayed by you know, the one, one of them that walked among them. He was denied by one who was in his inmost circle. Uh, he was falsely accused. He was scoffed at. He was spit on. He was slapped across the face. He had thorns placed upon his head. He went through all of these things, and, and it tells us he didn't even open his mouth. And, you know, then they laid him upon a cross for crimes that he had not committed. Uh, even He had come to save the world from their sins. They laid him upon a cross and drove nails you know, down through the base of his hands. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so he's undoubtedly the, the best example that we have uh, in how to deal with situations in our life where others do not return love to us even though it would be right and fitting and proper if they did. Unfortunately, with Michael, I think, uh, as has been the case with a number of these lessons, we were learning the lesson not from a positive example, but from a negative example. And sometimes that's as good of a teacher, I suppose, as the other. Uh, I'll just uh, briefly mention, I think my time's up, but I'll just briefly mention the final reference to Michael. Uh, it's, it's a little bit Debated, I suppose, by the scholars. You know, the scholars debate a lot of things that I don't understand sometimes, but um, nonetheless, you will find one more reference to Samuel, um, or to Michael in 2 Samuel. Now, the last verse we read in the 6th chapter tells us that uh, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. So that was, we call her punishment for speaking out uh, against David when he worshiped the Lord. Um, we don't know if that meant that God made it impossible for her to bear, bear children or David decided that he wasn't going to go to her. We don't know. But nonetheless, she didn't have any children, and we can be sure about that. So there is one more reference that makes it a little confusing, and I want to just throw that out there because I think I have a minute or two to do it. Second uh, Samuel 21 and verse 8, it says, But the king took two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, uh, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni, and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barziali, the Mihalite. Now, I'm sure I pronounced a lot of that wrong, but nonetheless, uh, this verse seems to indicate that Michael had five sons, and so the, we feel like there's a contradiction going on between the two. I'm going to just give you two possible explanations for that, and uh, I'm not 100% sure which I'm settled on. Uh, one explanation, which was provided by one of the commentators, I think it may have been Gill, uh, he said that what this may have been referring to um, was that Michael, Michael's older sister Merib, Merib may have uh, died younger in life, and Michael had perhaps had the responsibility of bringing up or raising the children. And we know that the children belonged to Merib because Adriel is mentioned here uh, as the, the one uh, whose father was, the, who was the father of these children, and Adriel was the husband of Merab, not Michael. Uh, so that's one possibility. Uh, however, some dispute that because the 
Hebrew word for she brought up is in almost every other place rendered gave birth to. Uh, and so they cite the, a possible manuscript error where that Merib should have been used instead of the name Michael. Now, I'll also say that the word she brought up in three places is referred to as midwife. Uh, and so I think that Gill's idea about her raising these children uh, could still be possible. I don't know which one it is, but I do know that Michael did not have any children uh, because the scripture tells me plainly in 623 that she did not. And so uh, with that, I will finish the lesson. I appreciate your attention tonight. Uh, hopefully there was something said that was, was helpful to you. And uh, I appreciate again, once, once again, the invitation to come and to be with you at the Winter Bible Study.